Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Anybody enjoy singing songs like that? That's good. You can be seated. Uh, I want to kind of come off a thought of something we were briefly talking about last week, and it's not often that I approach Sundays, or or let me go back to last week, Monday morning, and I don't know what I'm going to teach on. Most of what my dad and I have planned for this year and even next year, a lot of that's already put in place, but there are a couple Sundays where we're in between things, and I didn't realize that we were going to be in between things until last Sunday, and so Monday I show up to the office, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm saying, God, what, what do you want me to, to teach out of this? What, what can I share? And uh, so I closed my eyes, and I, I did one of those things, and I said, any, meaning my, I'll just get it. <laughs> do that. Um, but I, you know, we've been, we walked through Esther, before that we walked through the book of Hebrews, and and I was like, let me, I want to read some of the, the teachings of Jesus and what he, had to, what he had to say. And so I opened up to Matthew chapter 20, and I read verse 20, and, and I kind of kept going, and we don't have to go there this, this split second, but I kept, kept reading a little bit. And then I had to, you know, when you read the, the Bible, if you just open up to a random passage, you got to understand the context. And so you, you go back a couple of verses, and then I went back a chapter, then I went back another chapter. And something I've been thinking about, you know, let me ask you this. You remember when you, when you first believed? Think about what you were told. Can you go back to that church service or that camp night or the conversation you were having with somebody and you gave your life to the Lord? What did they tell you? And I'm sure they told you a lot of great things about Jesus and how kind he is and how merciful he is and how he forgives you of all your wrongdoings. But did they tell you about hell? Did they tell you about eternal separation from God? Did they tell you about submission to God? Did they, did they talk to you about some of those things? And again, we talked about the fear of the Lord last year briefly, and I think we've done a disservice at times. I'm not saying that that was not genuine what we were saying, but have we given people the full Bible? Do they know what this looks like to be a believer, to be a worshiper of God? What were you told? Oh, life's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be great. I'm going to have so many friends. My marriage is going to be perfect. My kids are going to be obedient. Ah, oh, that sounds like a movie, right? Like, uh, but is that, is that the reality? Do, do you know about some of these things? And um, I, I think about this story that I believe the Lord brought me to in Matthew 20. You can now flip there if you'd like. And it addresses one of these things. And it's found in the answer that Jesus gives to a mother. His mother's name is Salome, and Salome is the mother of James and John to the disciples. And so I began to read this story, and I, and, I, and I thought, man, this is it. As I went back to the context, I said, this is it. This is something that I think the church is, is kind of forgetting to teach a little bit. And by the way, next year, I already told my dad, I said, dad, we're going to teach a message series on the things that the church is not telling you. And, and, maybe, and this isn't a shot at any other churches, but I, I think that some churches are kind of skipping over some things. And uh, this, isn't, this isn't gonna be a political series. This is like, hey, this is what Jesus says in the Bible about how we are to live. And it might be a little bit different than you thought so when you first came to know him. 
what do you mean I have to do these things? What do you mean I have to be obedient? What do you mean I have to be submissive? What do you mean? So Jesus answers one of these things in his response to a woman's request in Matthew 20, verse 20. We'll read up to verse 28. It says, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, James and John. Kneeling down, she asks a favor of Jesus. He says, what is it you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right side and the other may sit at your left side of your kingdom. Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. Can you possibly drink the cup that I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you know what? You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at the right or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Now, when the other disciples, because they were around listening to this conversation, when they heard about this, they were furious. They were indignant with the two brothers. So Jesus gathers them all up. He says, all right, guys, team huddle, let's go. I got to address something here. He said, you know that the rulers of the, the Gentiles lorded over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, and, and here's, here's the principle. Here's what I feel like we don't often teach. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, what does it say? Must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I ask you a question, how many of you have white shoes? You have white shoes, you just like wearing white shoes or you have white shoes. I have like a, quite a few pairs of white shoes. And uh, the problem with having white shoes is they, they get what? They get dirty all the time, especially when you have kids. My kids step on my shoes and I'm like, please, not my white shoes. Step on any other pair of shoes, not my white shoes. I have a dog and I remember one day I was walking around the leash and she was using the restroom. Not going number one, she was, she was going number two. Another dog came around the corner and she got excited and she skirted across my white shoes with whatever it was, com I just all of my shoes, okay? That's not the point. The, the, um, the point is uh, that I have a process in which I clean my white shoes because if you have white shoes, you clean them. And I clean them all. Anybody clean their white shoes all the time? I clean them all the time. And my wife makes fun of me because I have this like secret formula that I use. Well, it's not secret anymore because I have it on a note and people ask me and I give it to them and I send it to them because I, I have white shoes that I've had for like six years and they still look brand new. And I use this, this formula. I put a couple things in there, but one of the things I use is toothpaste. I take a bottle of toothpaste and I just like, I just squeeze it into this thing that I mix. Toothpaste. It's like the 3D Crest white toothpaste. The three, the three, you know that one? The one that's supposed to make your teeth white? Uh, it doesn't. It probably ruins your teeth, right? Uh, Christina, you're, you're a dentist, right? That, that, that's probably the worst stuff for your teeth, but it's great for your shoes. Um, and so I, I do this whole thing, and, and she's like, what are you doing? Everybody makes fun of me. Like, you use toothpaste to, wipe your, to wash your shoes? And I'm like, yeah, but wait. Because it may look weird. It may look funny. It may look abnormal, but the product is great. Ooh, when I show them the white shoes, it's beautiful. Jesus is like, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And it's so counter to what culture tells you to do. And it doesn't look good. It's weird. It's abnormal. Not everybody's going to do it. But if you do it, the product is great. I've titled this morning's message, The Greatness Formula. We're going to talk about the principle of the last shall be first, okay? Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what he's done for us. Thank you for your word that teaches us. It convicts us. It shapes us. It shapes us. 
molds us. I'm so grateful for this thing, God. This has changed my life. And I pray today that it would continue to change everybody in this room and those watching and online. As we leave this place, God, that we would become better believers and stronger and, and, and confident in what we believe, God. That we could be examples and we could be the salts of the earth, the light of the world to our communities and to our neighborhoods. Because that's what this is about. Not just bringing everybody in this room, but getting everybody in this room to go out, to be examples, to shine. We love you. And it's in your name, everybody said. Amen. Anybody ever ask dumb questions before? Yeah, can we have me? Uh, we're we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, this is an interesting question that Salome, the mother of James and John, asks Jesus. She says, Grant that one of my sons, both of my sons, may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, um, you know, maybe we've asked some of these questions before, and it's, a, it's an interesting question, perhaps an ignorant question, but what would spark a question like that? Why would somebody ask that to Jesus? Hey, can, can my sons have the position right next to you? Now, it sounds like a, a desperate mom who's wanting to promote her sons, but, but an interesting question that's stemming from somewhere, and for order to understand where it's coming from, you gotta go back to Matthew chapter 19. So go with me to Matthew chapter 19. I'm gonna read a few verses, but I wanna explain some of this. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They're synonymous with each other, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. In a broad sense, the kingdom of God is this rule, this, this sovereign rule. It's an eternal sovereign God who rules over the entire universe. It's the, the kingdom of God. You know, as we say, we're building the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We're building the kingdom of heaven. In a narrow sense, it's a spiritual rule over every heart and every life that's willing to submit to the authority of God. If you're willing to submit to the lordship of Christ and you're willing to surrender to that, then you are living and operating in the kingdom of God. And we see this come up when a young, rich ruler approaches Jesus, and you'll find this in in chapter 19, and he says, Jesus, what good things must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, good things? No one's good. What are you talking about? Good things. You want to inherit eternal life? He says, keep my commandments. And the rich young ruler is like, great, because I've done them all. I've done all the commandments, God. You name it, I've done it. If it's in your word, I've done it, and I've kept it. I've kept them all. So what do I still lack? And Jesus said, great question. Go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. What does the man do? He puts his head down and he walks away. He says, I just can't do that. Now, a side note, this this story, this conversation that Jesus is having with this rich young ruler is not about salvation. The concern here is about money. The man clearly is a religious man. Many would say he's a a religious leader in the synagogue whose salvation is based upon works and not faith. Thus lying the problem, he was faultless as it pertained to the law. And Jesus is like, that's it. Because I've told you to keep my commands. And Jesus says, if you go ahead and sell everything, he didn't say that you'll inherit eternal life. He actually says, if you read the passage, he says, you'll have treasures in heaven. Because nowhere does it say if you sell all your money and give it to the poor, you automatically have access to eternal life in heaven. That's not what the story's about. But there was, there was pride here. There was greed here. There was a selfishness about not willing to give up everything God, I'll give, you, I'll give you most of it, but I, but I can't give you all of it. And he could, not, he, he could not measure up to the holiness of God. 
And so the disciples are listening to this conversation and they're like, wait a minute, Jesus. We've given up everything. Where's our reward? I mean, this man has everything and he's obeyed you. We've obeyed you and we've given up everything. Where is our reward? And here is the response that's gonna trigger the question by the mother of James and John. Look at verse 28 in chapter 19. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive, what's the scripture say? A hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Here's the principle, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. What is he saying? He says, you will get a reward. In fact, to the apostles, you're gonna sit on 12 thrones. Ah, the question that Salome asks Jesus, can my sons, James and John, sit on that side of you and that side of you? Now, when are they gonna step into these thrones at the renewal of all things? When the son of man sits on his throne, we're talking about the future judgment. We're talking about the millennial kingdom. We won't go into that, but in Revelation 21, what we're seeing here is it appears that the apostles are not just having a big part in the building of the church, the early church, the foundation of the church, but also ushering in the new Jerusalem that's gonna take place in the end times. And so Jesus says, you're gonna sit on these thrones, and in fact, you will be greatly rewarded. Because you've given up so much on earth, you will be given so much in heaven. Anybody looking forward to what they're going to receive in heaven because of what they've given up on earth? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Uh, Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I really haven't given up that much, but maybe you have given up much. Perhaps you can identify with a disciple. You're saying, I I gave up so much to follow you, Jesus. I I gave up a bigger paycheck. I gave up a house. I gave up nice cars. I gave up my old lifestyle that that pleased me. I, I gave up a whole lot to follow you. Some of you have even given up your family because they were not on board with what you were doing, and you had to leave them. And so you're asking that same question, what, what's, what's in it for me? Is it, is it really worth following God? Is it really worth, as I love God, as I love people, as I live differently, is it, is it worth all the sacrifice? Well, can I tell you, church, what you are doing is not just sacrificial, but it's an investment. You're not just sacrificing now here on earth, but you're investing in the treasures that you will receive in heaven. I know that's so hard for some of us to think because we're so materialistic. I want things now. And, and I gotta have it. God, I'm so, I'm, I've been so faithful to you. Why are my prayers being answered? You would think that somebody who's faithful to God is gonna have all that they want. Perhaps all you're gonna get isn't materialistic. Could, could joy be something that you get? Okay, could gratitude be something that you get? Could wisdom be something that you get? I just think, again, we have to think like the, the kingdom perspective. We're not thinking about earth's perspective. We're thinking about the kingdom perspective. Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, those who have humbled themselves on earth will be exalted in heaven. Those who have exalted themselves on earth will be humbled in heaven. If you exalt yourself here, God will need to humble you. But if you humble yourself here, God will exalt you. Where did we see that play out um, in the book of Esther? With Haman and Mordecai. Haman exalted himself and was killed for it. Mordecai humbled himself and was exalted. So 
Jesus shares this principle with them after having that conversation with the rich young ruler. He then goes into a parable here in verse one of chapter 20 that we won't get into. I know it's not our text, but again, he finishes with the first will be last and the last will be first. Again, we have to understand that God's rewards are not based upon just what we do for him, but he rewards us as he pleases. Is that fair? No, not at all. But does God have to be fair? No. He grants as he pleases. He gives as he pleases. He rewards you as he pleases. I know we're thinking, God, I'd love to see it now, and God may see. Listen, you have to understand that my value system in heaven is different than the value system on earth. Were you told this when you stepped into the faith? Now, you would think that the disciples are like, oh, great, I got this, Jesus, this makes sense. You've just told it to us once, and you've told it to against, uh, again, and Jesus is like, great, you guys have figured it out. Let's, let's move on, and let's head to Jerusalem. So now we get to, um, again, another pretext in verse 17 of, verse t- of chapter 20. Read with me, verse 17, chapter 20. So Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, and he takes his 12 disciples aside, and he says to them, by the way, where we are going to Jerusalem, the son of man, me, will be betrayed to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn me to death and they will turn me over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, I will rise again. Verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons comes to Jesus, their sons kneeling down and asks his favor, what is it you want? He said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Hold up, wait a minute. Did she just not hear what Jesus just said? What an ignorant question. What a poorly timed question. It's like you're in the middle of an accident and your sons are asking, when's dinner? What do you mean when's dinner? You know what this is gonna cost me? You're not eating dinner for the rest of your life because of what I have to pay for this. I mean, do, do you know what Jesus just said, Salome? Go back with me, what did he say? He said, hey, by the way, we're headed to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, I'll be betrayed. They're gonna condemn me to death. They're gonna turn me over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to flogged, and crucified. But on the third day, I'll arise again. And the mother of James and John is like, um, yeah, but what, what throne is my sons going to sit on? The, the right or the left? Where were these people's heads at? Yeah, you know, um, that's cool, but um, what kind of crown am I going to get? You know, Jesus? Yeah, you, you're going to be betrayed in Jerusalem where we're, where we're headed. That's interesting, but... Um, Hey, what kind of chair do you think I'm going to get, Peter? You know, like, you think I'm going to get that? What kind of throne am I going to get? Is it going to have, like, a, the, the massage thing on the back? The feet? Oh, man, come on. I hope that my, I hope that my throne has a, has a spa, foot spa there. Right when I said I could put my feet in, ooh, I hope, that's, I hope that's my throne. I hope that's what I get as I rule over the kingdom with my friend Jesus. Where were their heads? Well, David Guzik said this. He said their expectation was so focused on Jesus establishing immediate political kingdom that these words from Jesus were so contrary to that anticipation that these words just went right over their heads. Did they not just hear what Jesus said? Now, Jesus already told them, by the way, that he was going to die. This is the third time that he's now told them. This is the first time he's telling them how he's going to die. 
He said, I'm going to die by crucifixion. I'm going to die on a cross. And, you, and, and they're like, yeah, but what about my crown? Where, grant, grant these two sons of mine, Jesus, please. Now, let's stop here because you may be thinking, well, let's blame Salome. Let's blame the mother because she's just looking out for her kids and she wants to promote her kids like any great mother would do or any great father would do. And we often see that in our day today, right? If I could just pay enough, I can get my, my son or daughter in that position. Let me just, let me just, come on, Lord, I got favor with you, so, so, so help me out. So let's just blame the mother. Well, here's the thing. With the Bible, we have four accounts of Jesus's life. And so we have other people's um, view of this story because there are four gospels. And Mark, um, conclu- Mark sees what's going on, he hears what's going on, and so he writes about it. And what does Mark have to say about this account here? Go to Mark chapter 10 if you have your Bible. Just flip over to the next chapter if you can. Mark chapter 10. Like these people don't get away with it because we have four accounts of it, okay? And so uh, something might be left out, but we might see something that's not left out in the book of Mark. Mark 10. So this won't be on the screen, but verse 32 says they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus is leading the way. He says, we're going to Jerusalem. Son of man will be betrayed, okay? He said, he'll rise again, he'll die on a cross, and he'll rise again three days later. Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, they asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in the glory. Boom, we got it, caught. We found out that it was the sons who were really desiring this, maybe not so much mom. Maybe it was mom as well, but, but it was also the sons. Now, are, are, they, are they contradicting themselves? Is it saying, oh, it was really the sons, it was the mom? It might have been all three. Might have been at different times. But what we do know is the question was the same and the answer was the same. Now, can I give you just an observation for a second of why I think Mark includes James and John and not the mother of Mary and why Matthew includes, sorry, uh, sorry, the mother of James and John? This is just an observation, all right? Let's look, look in between. This isn't truth. This isn't factual. This isn't the Bible. However, you have the, the, the top three, right? Who are the top three disciples? You've got Peter, you've got James, and you've got John. They're all fighting for position. We see this throughout the Gospels. It's almost entertaining. In the book of John, they talk about, John writes how he's faster than Peter, and he writes it three different times, that I'm faster than Peter. John also identifies himself as the one that Jesus loves most. And so, well, John wrote it. I guess he can do what he wants. So John writes that. Now, Mark concludes that it was James and John who asked this question. Now, if you don't know, Mark was not an apostle. Mark um, probably wrote the book of Mark about 20 or 30 years later after Jesus so he wasn't an eyewitness. Maybe he, maybe he was when he was little, but he wasn't an eyewitness, at least from what we know. But who was he closest to? Peter. And so you gotta think as Peter's telling him this story, Mark, write this down, let me tell you what happened. Peter's like, hey, make sure you include that it was James and John, because I'm just the favorite disciple, okay? So maybe that's why, that's why uh, he includes it. Why did they ask this, this question? Well, a couple things. Number one, I've already told you um, they, they were ignorant, I'll get to that more, but I think they were interested in something else. Oftentimes when we ask questions, we're far more interested in what we can gain than simply than what we can do, right? These are the questions that I'm asking. These are the prayers that I'm asking God. There's a lot that I need. I got a long list. And meanwhile, the world is suffering. People are suffering. The gospel still needs to be preached. But I'm really concerned about, Lord, the things that I need in my closet, the things that I need in my house, the prayers that I need answered for my body, okay? It seems like they were less interested in the cross and they were more interested in their crown. And they ask questions like this. We're more interested in the blessing than being a blessing. I'm more interested in what I can get than what I can give. I'm more interested in in how I can accumulate than how I can contribute. 
Because that's kind of who we are. We, at times we think life's centered around us. In fact, when I was in middle school, I used to really believe when I closed my eyes, everything around me stopped until I opened them back up. Because life was all about me, I guess. That's what I thought. And we can be extremely self-centered, not just in how we pray, not just in how we ask, but also how we live, especially when we live with other people. And so they were more interested in their crown, less interested in their cross. But church, can I just, can I tell you this? If the only gift that I get is the gift of eternal life, then that's the only gift that I need. Anybody else? God, if you only grant me eternal life, then grant me that, only that. That's all I need, God. Because the questions that we approach God with, I mean, let's be honest, some of us, we should be embarrassed by the questions we ask God. We should be ashamed of the questions we ask God. Does that mean we can't ask them? No. I'm just thinking like, I mean, do you even know what you're asking? Some of you are gonna leave this this room and many people across the world are gonna leave or at least in America are gonna leave churches on Sunday and they're gonna say, hey, I'm feeling like Chick-fil-A for lunch. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, do you even read your Bible? Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And some of you are like, that actually sounds really good, Jacob. We'll go to Chick-fil-A. That's the problem right there. Ignorant question. The Bible says that the Lord's chicken shall be closed on the seventh day, right? The day of rest. So, I mean, these are the questions that we ask. I have a, uh, a South African brother. And I remember one time somebody asking him, because we were talking about Jesus and stuff, and he, him being from South Africa. They're like, do they celebrate Easter in South Africa? And, and, and he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's wise, and he was like, no, oh no, they only celebrate Jesus in America because uh, Christianity is an American religion. And he was joking, of course. Of course they celebrate Easter in South Africa because Jesus didn't just come and die and save Americans. He saved mankind. He saved the entire world. The questions that we ask. Is it wrong to ask these questions? Not at all. But, but he, here's what I know. Almost every time we ask questions, almost every time people in the Bible ask questions to Jesus, he somehow manages to engage the one asking in a way that both transforms them while revealing the truth of God. Right? He doesn't say, that's a dumb question. Why would you ask that? No, he, he, he steps in and he answers it while he's transforming you and while he's bringing you truth. Isn't that the beauty? He could have said, James and John, get behind me, Satan. What are you thinking? Can you sit at my right and my left? No, he answers it in a way that transforms them, and he answers it in a way that brings them truth. They were also ignorant in this request. This, this request was birthed from ignorance, and we find this by going on from verse 22. They say, can we sit at your right? Can we sit at your left? Go back to Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for. How can you possibly drink the cup that I am going to drink? And he asks them. He says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Again, they're more interested in the, in the crown than the cross. They're more interested about what they can get than what they can give. They have no idea what they're saying yes to, but they're like, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I could drink that cup. Yeah, what's in the cup? You know? Like, what do you got? What do you got for me? What do you mixed up for me? I'll drink it. If you're drinking it, I'm drinking it, right? I mean, that's how some of you live, right? You want to drink? Yeah, I'll drink whatever you're drinking. I'm like, you have no idea what I'm about to get. Like, it's nine at night, and I'm going to make a coffee. And you want, you want to drink what I'm drinking? You want coffee? Some of you can sleep for three days if you drink coffee at 9, 9 p.m. They have no idea what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you want to drink from the cup that I'm about to drink? And they say, yeah, yeah, we can. And, and Jesus is like, you know what? Actually, you can. You will indeed drink from this cup. Now, let's stop here for a moment. Let me talk about this cup. 
What's the cup Jesus is talking about? All throughout the Bible, we often see this cup represented as the Lord's judgment and his wrath on wickedness. That's the cup. So the cup that Jesus is going to drink is the divine wrath that he would drink on behalf of the sins of mankind so that we could be saved. That's the cup that he's going to drink. And he says, you will indeed drink from that cup. Now, he doesn't say, he doesn't say that you're going to drink the same cup because James and John clearly could not be the ones to drink the cup and, and save mankind and take on their sins and all their shame. That's not what he's saying. But he does say, you'll partake in it. In other words, you're going to suffer with me. Christian, were you told that when you stepped into the faith? That there may be persecution? That there may be suffering? Are we seeing a group of people, a people of God, being persecuted and suffering right now? Of course we are. Did you know that when you step into the faith and you became a believer of God, that there might be some suffering? Jesus said, you know what? You will indeed drink this. You will indeed suffer like me. You won't drink the same cup. In fact, Jesus, proving that he's fully God and fully man, tells God, tells his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, can you take this cup from me? Because I can't drink it. Let this cup pass from me. Now, does the cup pass? Of course not. He has to drink it. And he tells James and John, he says, you're going to drink the same. But notice what he says in verse 23. He says, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to answer your question, to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Now, this shows us another principle here. Because the question that they're asking, they're failing to understand one of the key principles of being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, and that's this. You're to not look to advance your own agenda or your own honor. You're not to do that as a believer. Did you know that? That promotion is God's and not ours? And yeah, I know God, I, w- I want that place of greatness, God. I want that, that seat, I want that pay. God I, God, I want it. And you may try, and you may try, and you may try, and you may climb, and you may climb, and you may climb. Again, you know it, only to find out that you've climbed the wrong building. Because promotion isn't for you to do, it's for God to do, so let God do it. But they're sitting here thinking, hey, how could I advance myself? How could I advance? I mean, I'm gonna reign and rule over all the people. Again, they're thinking politically. I'm going to reign and rule. God, let me sit at the right and let me sit at the, at the left. And Jesus has got to be scratching his head at this point because if you go back to Mark, you don't have to go there, but Mark records what Jesus says right before he, he answers this question. And he says in Mark 10, 15, he says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So, so how do we come to God? How do we approach God like a, little, like a little child. What do children have to offer? Nothing. Exactly the point. What do they bring? Humility. As we think about this greatness formula, you know where it starts with? If you're taking notes, this is where it starts with. Humility. Right there, humility. Not pride. God hates pride. The Bible says he hates pride. In Proverbs it says he opposes the pride, but he what? He gives grace to the... Humble. God hates pride. He hates it because it ruins us. It destroys us. And it'll convince you that you don't need God. Why, why would somebody that you know think that they don't need God? Because they're prideful. Are they humble? No, they're prideful. I don't need God. I have all, I have all that I need. 
You know, when I was serving in, in Boca Raton, if you know, for, the, for those that know Boca Raton, it's like the retirement capital of the nation. It was like 2% of people were believers in Boca Raton. You know why? Because who is their God? Money. They don't need anything else because they can buy anything they want. And I saw everything, yet I saw hopelessness. Because the one thing they needed, they did not have. And so how do you convince a rich man that it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for them to enter the kingdom? I mean, it's, not, it's not impossible. Again, this is why Jesus brings a story about the rich young ruler. Because that rich young ruler was prideful of what he had, what he gained. I was proud in the, in the commandments that I obeyed, but I was also proud in what I had and what I gained. Look at my storehouses. In fact, you know the other story where the guy's like, I need to build more storehouses for more of my stuff. A four-car garage, too small. Eight-car garage. You know where that stuff goes when you die? Not with you. And if you have those things and you're writing a will, just put my name in there. I'll take one of those, okay? But you don't get to take it with you. Yet we become very prideful of what we have. And if we want to have greatness, if we want the product of us to be great, then the formula begins with humility. Let me ask you this. James and John, they're asking this question. Were they thinking about their will or God's will? Were they thinking of the way of God or the way of the world? How were they thinking when they asked this question? Well, they were clearly thinking about their will. They were clearly thinking about their way. They were clearly thinking about, God, how can this benefit and favor us. But when we submit to the lordship of Christ, when we surrender fully to God, when we step into this faith, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, we submit to a whole new perspective. Heaven's values are not earth's values. How God rewards people isn't the same as how earth rewards people. It's, it's completely different. And by the way, Jesus wasn't only the only one who heard this question being asked. The other disciples were there. In verse 24, it says, when the 10 heard about this, they were, they were indignant, they were furious with the two brothers. How dare you ask that question? I love how Matthew records this, that we're all furious, and you know, Mark records that they were all furious. We don't have this in Luke, and John doesn't record this story at all. And maybe he just, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit didn't want him to write that story. I don't know. He doesn't tell us what happened. And so Jesus responds in verse 25. He brings them all together, and he's again teaching the principle here, the first shall be last. He says, let me tell you who, who rules and who reigns over people, who abuses their authority. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But he said, not so with you. You're to be different, worshiper of God. You're not to be like the world. You're to have a different perspective. And now you're going to have a different look to you. Because he says in verse 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, I want you to notice the word that he uses here. Because let's be honest, you might be asking that question like, wait, wait a minute. I thought we were sitting on thrones. I thought I was getting a crown. I thought I was, I thought, I mean, this was going to be, we we're going to reign and rule. And Jesus is like, yeah, but not just yet. Just wait. It's coming. I will return again, and it's going to be glorious. And all the worshipers of God, are, they're going to reign and they're going to rule. Anybody excited about that? When Jesus returns, we're going to reign and we're going to rule? Come on. I mean, this is good news right here. 
And, and, and Jesus is like, yeah, but hold up. Not now. Right now, you've become a slave. Now, the word he uses in the Greek is the word doulos. It means bondservant. Why would he tell people to become a slave? Man, I thought I was, I thought I was free from that. Now, here's, you have to know the context. He's, he's speaking to, to a place that's run by Romans. And in the Roman Empire, in the Roman Empire you had one-third of your people still enslaved. And those who were not enslaved had, had once been slaved. And now there's a lot of freedom, and there's a lot of pride in that freedom. That's why they don't want to listen or conform to some book. Oh, why, would I, why would I be limited to obeying just those things? I could do whatever I want. And so there's this pride that these Roman people have about the freedom that they have. And Jesus is telling them, listen, the greatest in the kingdom of God, Mark uses the word servant of all. Luke uses the word, you're to be the least. In fact, Luke says this in, 9, in 948, he says, whoever welcomes children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you that is the what? The greatest. You want to be great? You have to be the least. What? That, that makes no sense, Jesus. Now, we don't apply this to everything, right? If you're to be a great athlete, you're not to be the worst athlete, right? Now, there's no like horrible athletes getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's, we're not applying that same formula to that. If you want to be great at some sport, you want to be a great mom, you want to be a great father, you want to be a great employee, there are things you have to do to be great. But in the kingdom of God, it's a little bit different. And this is what the people didn't understand because they're like, in my kingdom, I am great, God. Look at all that I have. Look at all that I've done. Imagine somebody like that approaching Jesus in need of saving. Um, okay, God, uh, I've done everything. I've got a long list of uh, attributes. I've got a long list of um, uh, credentials. I've, I've, I've done a lot. What do you got for me, God? How can you bless me today? And Jesus says, become a slave. Become a bondservant. Become a, become, a, become a slave. I'm free. I'm free in this kingdom, Jesus. And, and Jesus is probably scratching his head thinking, do you hear what I'm preaching about? You might be great in your kingdom, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's a whole different kingdom that you're not getting and he continues to teach us and he continues to preach this to these people. He says, the greatest among you must be your servant. And so it starts with, it starts with humility and then it ends with service. Because, write this down, greatness is measured by service. No, greatness is about how many serve me. Look what I've built the opposite of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's the kingdom of this world. Is there nothing, is there anything wrong with that? No, not necessarily. That's not what I'm saying. You're not, you can't have all these people working for you. What, what I'm saying is it's so different than what, than what the world preaches. Jesus says, this is my kingdom. My kingdom's not of this world. If you want to be great, you have to be the last. You've got to give up those things. You've got to, you've, you've got to serve and submit to me. Your greatness would be measured by, by service. Two chapters later, Matthew 23, verse 11. He's talking to Pharisees, religious leaders, who are great in their eyes, 
who are great in the people's eyes. These are, these are scholars of the word. They practice everything of the word. They look like they got it all going together. And Jesus says, you want to be great? Be, be a servant. Verse 12 in Matthew 23, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you want to stand out, then church, it's time to step down. Time to step down. You want to be great? It's time to get on your knees and serve. It's, it's so different than what many people have told me. You know, God's going to do great things. And, I mean, he's going to use me in great ways. And man, I, I'm going to have a platform. And I'm going to get to do great things. And woo, let's go. Come on, God. Who, who, am, I, who, who am I going to be used to speak to today? And, uh, and imagine Jesus is like, all right, you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready, God. I'm ready to be used. I'm ready to do great things. Are you, are you sure you're ready? Oh, I'm ready, Jesus. I'm ready. All right. Um, um, and Jesus is like, opens the closet door, and he's like, here's a mop. Take that. Uh, here's a broom. Take that. Um, here's some gloves. Take that. And you're taking these things, and you're like, great, great, great. Okay, so who, who do I give these to? Um, because I'm not going to do that. Yeah, clearly, it's not me. Don't give me the mop. You know, I don't know how to use a mop. I, I, I don't use a mop. I don't, I don't know how to do that, you know? We got those sweeper things now. But um, that's not me, Jesus. Call me to do great things. Come to preach to the world. You call me to, to build a to build your kingdom. Well, you know where that starts? Right here on your knees. You know what? Give me, give me that mop, God. I, I think I think I know what you're, you're talking about. Give, give, give me that broom. Give me that, those rags. And let me start here. Let me start here. I don't know what you were told when you came into the faith, and maybe you said you're going to see a lot of this done towards you, and maybe you have seen some of that done towards you. Maybe people have washed your feet. Maybe they have served you. But don't think for one minute that God has not called you to do the same thing. Have you done the same thing? Are you willing to, to step down? Because what happens, and here, here's the truth, here's the principle, okay? Listen, what happens when you step down? What happens when you say, I become a slave? What happens when you say, I become a bondservant? They ask, to who? And then you show him Jesus. That's to who. But I thought, I thought we sing songs about we're no longer slaves. So why, why are you telling me to become a slave? No, you're no longer slaves to sin. That's who you are no longer enslaved to. When you step into the faith, you no longer become enslaved to sin because your whole life before Christ was run by sin. We were consumed by sin. So now that I'm in Christ, I've been set free from sin. And here's what Paul says in Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become what? Slaves of God. But here it is. And the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is what eternal life this is this is it so god what do you what do you want me to do how do you want me to respond what is it what does this look like oh can i take you to one more passage and i'll close with this philippians chapter three philippians chapter three you can go there with me if you have your bibles because as i step down what do I do? I elevate Christ. As I, as John said, as I, as I decrease, may God what? Increase. It's very different than what the world will tell you to do. Keep getting bigger, keep getting better, keep building the platform, keep getting the success, keep getting all the money. I mean, just 
Not wrong things, by the way, at all. But the kingdom of God is very different. And Jesus says, you, you want to become what the world so idolizes? Become last. What does that look like? Uh, Philippians chapter three. Sorry, Philippians chapter two, verse three. Here it is, right here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But here it is, but in what? But in humility, value others above yourselves. Tell the person next to you, I value you more than I value me. Tell them right now, tell them, I value you. And you're like, you're like I know you're lying right now because you're Jacob, I don't really believe that, but I need you to believe it. I need you to believe it. Do you value other people more than you value yourselves? Because if you don't, this life is going to be extremely difficult, especially when God asks you to sacrifice, especially the God that gives, takes. This life will be very challenging for you if you can't ever figure this whole thing out of valuing other people above yourselves. It doesn't say that you're not to value yourselves at all. You could value yourself, but you are to value others before yourselves, just like a parent would value their kids. I'll do anything for my kids. I'll take a bullet for my kids. Do you value other people over yourselves? And it says in verse four, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Guys, this verse changed my life. I can't tell you how much this passage right here, Philippians chapter two, changed everything about me. I was selfish. Life was all about me. Life was about what I could do, what I could gain. I was living for the Lord, but I was so consumed about what God can do for me. And this began, to, this began to change my whole worldview. Based on this passage right here, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but rather, in humility, consider others above yourself. Don't look to just your own interests, but the other interests of others. I, to me, that looks like a life where, God, everything I have is really yours. And if you want anybody else to have it, they can have it. I don't even care. Just don't touch my wife and my kids, okay? Anything else you can have. You can have it all. That, that says I'm a, I'm a true disciple of God. Not concerned about the throne or the cross. Jesus says those people that have those positions, they lord it over others. But you're to be the servant. You're to be the slave. Okay, so that verse changed my life. And I, I, I live by that verse. But I don't just live by that verse. I live by a person who did it better than me. And it goes on to tell us right here in verse five, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here it is, church, verse six. Just receive this, take this in. Come on, think about this. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in a human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. It says he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Who's the greatest example of somebody who was willing to be the least in order to, to inherit the great Jesus? Who are you to look to? Some pastor, some person? No. Who are you to look to? Jesus. Don't look anywhere else other than Jesus. He had, he had a God-like nature. This man was fully God, but he was fully man. And he said, I'm willing to do, um, to do anything you ask me, Father, even if it means drinking the cup of suffering. Now, it doesn't stop there. 
Because if I were to stop there, I wouldn't give you the full gospel because here's what happens. Verse nine, what does God do? What does his father do? Therefore, it says God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, can you stand to your feet? I just wonder today if, if, if you've been living this life for a year or two years or 10 years, maybe you've been a worshiper of God, you've been a believer, you've been a Christian, you've been identifying as a child of God or a son or a daughter of God and, and you have forgotten this principle that God has called you to be last. Now, I'm not saying God's called you to be poor. God's, God's called you to live in poverty. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. That God's called you to not make any money. Um, maybe God has specific callings like that for certain people. We, we see that through certain people in the, in the scripture. But what I am saying is, is, do you really believe that in order to be great, in order to be a city on a hill, in order to be the salt of the earth, that you've got to be, you've got to be a bondservant, you've got to be a slave, not to sin, not to anybody, but to God. Do you know that? Do you know that truth? Does that resonate with you? Let me pray over you. Father, today I, I just, I ask God that you would be giving us that revelation of, of being last. That in order to, to receive greatness, there's a formula we have to abide by, and that formula begins with humility. And then for the rest of our life, it, it looks like service. And if we're to be imitators of you, then what we're ultimately saying as believers is that yes, it li it's a lifestyle of service, but it may end in death. It may end in sacrifice. But God, I know that what I do here in this earth is not sacrificial alone, but it's also an investment. It's an investment into the treasures of heaven. I may not ever get what I ask for, God. I may never get what I've been praying for. I may not have an abundance of, of finances, an abundance of wealth, an abundance of favor, God. I may not have that. But the gift that I do have is the gift of eternal life. And if that's all you grant me, God, then that's all that I need. Because you are worthy of it all, Jesus. You are worthy of it all. God, I don't need anything else. I have you. That's all that I need. Because you're worthy, Jesus. Come on, somebody tell him this morning that he's worthy, God. You're worthy. Worthy, Jesus. And so day and night, Father, I pray and I offer my prayers and my requests to you and they rise like incest to you, to the heavens, God. I know you're listening. I know you're near. And I know your favor may not be fair, God, but I know that you are just. And so I abide by that. I submit to that, Lord. I submit like a bondservant, like a slave, because you're worthy, Jesus. Yes. Come on, church. Worship him in this room. Yes.
all of our praise. He deserves all of our adoration. He deserves everything we have. I don't know about you, but man, I'm, sometimes I get fired up about this thing that I get to serve God and I get to give him everything that I have. I, I'm so honored. I'm so pleased. I'm so grateful that I don't submit to any other authority, that I don't submit to any other governance. I submit to Jesus. Jesus is who I live by. Jesus is who I learn from. Jesus is, is the reason that I'm here. Jesus is the reason that I walk. Jesus is the reason that I talk. Jesus is the reason that I have favor. He's the reason that I have blessings. He's the reason for everything. But as Solomon said, everything you have is meaningless. And so I thank God for him. I don't live by those things. I don't submit to those things. I submit to God. Have you submitted to God? If you're in this room today, have you fully surrendered everything that you have to him. Maybe you've been a, a partial believer. Maybe you've been what the Bible even says is a, is a lukewarm believer. You're kind of in, you're out. You're giving him some things, but you're not giving him everything. How do how, how you suppose that you are to inherit eternal life if you said, God, I'm keeping all your commands, but I can't keep this one. God, I'm gonna partially obey, but I can't fully obey. Jesus says you want eternal life. It's time to surrender all, all of it. And if that's you today, I wanna to pray for you. You're watching online, you're saying, Jacob, that's me. That's me right here in this room, that's me. I wanna surrender everything that I have. I wanna surrender all that I have. Maybe today for, for you, Christian, it's just a reminder that everything you have is God's. And so God, I surrender everything that I have. Would you just tell him right now, God, I give you all that I have. I give you everything. Would you go ahead and put the name of Jesus on the papers of your home, of your car. Put, put his name on everything, it's his. So God, I give you everything. But maybe you're here today and you have not given him your life. And the Bible says that if you have not given him your life, that there is a punishment because we're all sinners in this world. We've all been born into a world of sin and because of our sin, it separated us from God. And the Bible says, because of your sin, there is a death. And it's eternal separation. Did you know about this, believer, when you, when you received Christ? There's eternal separation if you don't receive him. But if you do, there is eternal life. And it's only through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says that you will now have a savior. You will have a father. You will have somebody who will forgive you of all of your sins. Anybody got a long list of sins like I do? We got a long list of sins. The Bible says that Jesus will cast those sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that he will remember them no more, which means that he'll no longer use them or hold them against you. Anybody grateful for that? That he will no longer use them or hold them against me? And so I want to pray a prayer if that's you today. If you're saying, you know what, I, I'm ready to receive. God is knocking at your heart. I'm ready to receive. Can I pray this with you? And I want you to make this your prayer. And I'd love for everybody in this room, would you repeat after me? Would you say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation. Make me a new person. From today, God, I will be identified as your child. And you will be my God. You will be my Father. For the rest of my life, I submit to you. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. Hey, I want to, uh, I want to invite our prayer partners to come to the front. I'm going to ask the team to lead us in that chorus one more time before they dismiss. 
We'll keep the music down a little low if you need prayer. If you need prayer for anything or if you made a decision today, there's that connect card in front of you. Would you grab that connect card? Just fill it out. Say, I gave my life to Jesus or I rededicated my life. But if you need prayer, maybe God is, maybe God is stirring something in you to pray for somebody else. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you're in a financial uh, 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 situation that you need help with and some guidance and some wisdom. We've got some godly men and women that love to pray for you. Put our hands on you and say, hey, we're here for you. The devil would like for you to keep all those things inside, not tell anybody. The Bible says in James that we find freedom, that we find healing when we confess those sins to somebody else. When we bring our needs to God, the Bible says that we will, we will be healed because he's near to the brokenhearted. So as the team leads us, if you need to come forward, you can come out of your seats. Would you come as, as, as the team leads us and as you receive prayer? We, we worship you, Father. We love you. You're worthy of it all. And every season, you're worthy. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.